CIPD right now have the opportunity to be groundbreaking in their thinking. You know, they have the time, they have the resources to be able to write a programme that closes that gap. But I haven't seen anything. And I say, and it might be that it's in the pipeline and it's just not come out. If people need it and it's not there, then there's a gap in the market. So I'll build it. I'm like, okay, well, where do we start? Well, well, let's get the research and let's get the data. Let's identify the gaps. You know, let's almost write a succession plan of what a CEO is, what skills they have, where they obtained them from. And we build it back from there. And then we look at the gaps from HRD to CEO. We build a succession plan and we build the program based on that. Welcome to the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO and founder of JGA Recruitment, specialist HR recruiters. Tuning into the HR L&D podcast will help you to discover strategic growth concepts, leadership development strategies, and the values and behaviors that drive organizational change and success. Together, let's empower our workforces, diversify our thinking and achieve significant HR success. Hello and welcome back to the HR L&D podcast. I'm your host, Nick Day, founder and CEO of JGA Recruitment, a specialist human resources recruiter. And today I am joined by Lisa Hagar, human resources director and a strategic and innovative HR executive who always seems to be helping, coaching or advising others. Her energy seems to be limitless and therefore it's an absolute pleasure to have her as a guest on my show today. All of her activities, if you follow them on LinkedIn, are focused on helping other businesses and other HR professionals achieve their visions, achieve their HR initiatives that really do go on to improve performance, profitability, growth and employee engagement. I truly believe that Lisa is a genuine influencer and so it's an absolute delight for me today to welcome her to the HR L&D podcast. Sit back, relax because we are going to hit some interesting subjects today. We're not afraid of a little bit of controversy either. I think you're going to enjoy the show. Grab yourself a cuppa, sit back, relax and let's get started. So I'm going to jump straight in, Lisa, if I can. I know that um, you're currently putting together a program to close the gap between HRD to CEO. So tell us a little bit about why you're so passionate about the subject and, and a little bit more about the program you're putting together. Hey, good morning, Nick. So, yes, I am passionate about it uh, for a number of reasons. But if you think about most careers, when you get to senior level, there's always the next level you can push through to. And obviously, I've worked in HR for 28 years, and there's not. You get to the point where you become a HR director, and the next choice, uh, depending on the size of the company, the next sort of availability in your career is going to be CPO, which again is more of a kind of an American flavor, really. That it didn't, such a role didn't exist in the UK a few years ago, but now, uh, in fact, CEOs, let's talk about that. CEO roles didn't exist in the UK a sure. few years ago. You got to MD level, and then, um, and that was, you know, that was you hit the, the pinnacle of your career. Whereas now we've got this influx of other roles like uh, vice presidents, et cetera, et cetera. So we've had an influx of the terminology and the kind of roles from the US to give people the leverage to expand. Then it's like, well, what's next? And when it gets to HR, there's not really anything else. And whilst I get that there's a lot of people in HR who don't want to, there's a lot of people who don't want to get promoted. They love what they do and they're happy doing what they do and they don't want to live to the next level. 
But when you have a percentage of people who are still uh, hungry and ambitious and want to make that next change, there's nothing out there. So um, I talked to a number of HR people about this um, and it's not right for everybody and I'm not saying it is. So, you know, spoke to a number of people and what was quite apparent was, well, it's never really going to happen, not in my lifetime. And when somebody said that, that was really quite a moment of, well, that's, that's quite a significant statement to make, as in not in my lifetime. Well, why not? You know, well, few have done it, they said. And I said, well, yes. And uh, I've spoken to a couple of people who have, you know, been very successful in doing that. And I'm not talking about people who have gone and started their own company and they can call themselves whatever they like and are a three-man band. I'm talking about real people, uh, HR director level, CPO level, who have then gone into a very big corporate structured business as a CEO. Um, And so I wanted to investigate this. So I started to do some research. And the more I researched, the more it got kind of, I peeled back the layers of, of like what started a, a pretty much like an onion, which is like, well, well, then it become to, well, why? And so then I took it to the next level where I started to interview uh, CEOs and ask them why. Because I had a view, the HR community I've spoken to had a view, but I actually wanted to hear it from the people who were in the chair at the moment and why they found it difficult or why they wouldn't engage with it. And the research was quite compelling. So um, I believe that, you know, everybody has a potential. And so some people, they get to a level in their career and they're happy. And for some people, they're still very ambitious. So there should always be the what next. Um, And even if you don't get there, it's the aspirational side of pushing yourself um, to to get as far as you can can go. Um, And I think from HR point of view, that that's lacking. Now, get me by one, no means is HR a victim in this. What I'm hearing at the moment for a number of things, when we talk about HR, everybody goes to the very typical conversation where HR needs to be on the board more, HR needs to be this, HR needs to be that. And it always comes across like HR is the victim. And I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is let's build an arena where we can for people who want to. It should be a choice, not something that you need to, you know, have to rebuild every time. So that's why I'm very passionate about it, because I believe there's an awful lot of people out there who have the potential to be a CEO in terms of business is about people. I see it from a a recruitment side of things. So I guess since I've been doing HR recruitment, you're absolutely right. The kind of people I've seen that tend to get to that crossroads where they go, you know what, I don't know where to go now. I've been in HRD for a number of years. You do tend to find at that point, they either grin and bear it, if you like, and though Therefore, the only way they can really progress their career is to go to a business that's bigger and bigger and bigger. But then every time you go bigger, it becomes more bureaucratic. And actually, sometimes you can lose some of that opportunity to be, you know, to to really have an influential change at strategic level because there are then more heads of and more departments, uh, board members you need to sort of rally in to to generate decisions. Or they end up leaving the business to set up their own HR consultancies, which is a great move for people, but it's not right for everyone. And it's still a very different move to being a CEO in an established firm. So I definitely think there's a gap there that we're seeing. And I do think there needs to be some shift because at the moment, traditionally, CEOs and tend to come from financial backgrounds. They tend to be FDs that move into that kind of position. And I don't really see why there is a shortage of, of HR directors moving to CEOs. So it must have been quite challenging for you to, to, to write this programme. I'm, I'm, have, have you had any kind of objections from 
the financial community, for example, the FDs that are looking to make the same transition? Uh, yes. Yeah, so when I say I interviewed 45 CEOs, let's say predominantly two thirds were from a finance background and had come through the FD. There were a few from sales, because again, that in itself, if you look at the history of CEOs, it kind of goes cyclical in terms of it's usually FDs and then it tends to be sales guys and then tends to be, you know, some operations people, then heavily back to finance again. And it comes back to the perception from what I spoke to the CEOs, which were from small, medium enterprises, right through to huge corporate brands, is one of the reasons that they they lean towards, they're very mindful of their words, uh, they lean towards mm-hmm. sort of having a financial-based person was because they know how to run a business and a business is about numbers. So, of course, I challenged that and said, well, yes, I agree that business needs to be run, smart business, you need to understand the numbers. But you also need to understand people because whether that's your employees, whether that's your stakeholders, whether that's your clients, your customers, your services, the products, they all stem, you know, the the common denominator that runs through all of them is finances and is people. So with that head, it's like, well, then why not teach the HR community finance? I'm not saying they have to go and understand every moving part because it's not about them becoming, you know, having a finance degree to understand sure. uh, how financially the business runs because it runs on a number of things. So the, the interviews with the CEOs was really quite compelling um, in terms of their perception. And, and yeah, you know, I, did I get laughed at a few times? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I had one gentleman who said to me, I'm taking a cure, like a pure curiosity because this is absolute bonkers and nonsense. I was like, wow. okay, great, bring it. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So so it had made a few people nervous because um, I'd asked some very difficult questions that they found difficult to answer. They couldn't answer or they didn't want to. So that was, was also quite interesting as well. I'm going to ask a, a potentially sensitive question because if you look at the, some of the CEOs you must have asked, if you were, I don't know if you're asking FTSE 100 CEOs or what, what kind of firms they're asking for, but at the minute there's clearly a lack of female CEOs in the FTSE 100. I think last time I checked, there were five. I don't know if that's changed during the pandemic, but there were only five female FTSE 100 CEOs last time I checked. Uh, I think we had Emma Wamsley at GlaxoSmithKline, with Garfield at Seven Trent, uh, Carolyn McCall at ITV, Alison Britton at Whitbread, and uh, Alison Rose at Royal Bank of Scotland. But you mentioned just then that you spoke to a guy, first thing, who then kind of laughed and said, this is bonkers. Do you think that your research was more challenging because you, you know, you're, of your gender, Lisa, coming in as an HRD, proven, as you say, 20 years, solid track record, do you think that, that some of the guys you were speaking to felt threatened? Do you think gender has any part to play in why HR directors aren't making it to CEO? Or am I just thinking a little bit off too far off tangent? No, and I'll probably say something that will resonate with a few and make a few people very uncomfortable with this. In terms of HR, if you look at it, and then we'll lead back to the CEOs because the, it, it makes a natural correlation there. In terms of CIPD, you know, anybody who's in HR, predominantly it's female. And then when you get into management roles, it's more of a blend, but still heavily female. And then when you get into the senior roles, if you look at the actual, you know, CPO roles, most of those are male. Now, don't get me wrong. I know some very amazing HRDs who have been turned down for roles because they've been male. 
So I'm not saying that this is, you know, me flying the flag for for ladies and saying, well, why shouldn't we? Um, But, you know, I understand that the discrimination element is also there for people that talk. So I know quite a few people who have been male who have been overpassed on a role and they've gone with a female because they see it as a, you know, women are better at, you know, the social skills, the soft skills, those types of, because they still have this opinion that HR is about, tea and pink and fluffy and unicorns and uh, it's a very transactional admin based role that we help you know the people that aren't doing so well and they still really don't see it as a true business partner in every sense of the word because they don't see that HR is a revenue generating department Uh, we're always classed as a drawer on the bottom line so in terms of HR itself is female dominated until you get to the top and then it starts to change quite significantly. You have most of the people who have gone into who are male who've gone into the other roles, the senior roles, haven't actually come from HR background. They'll maybe be a director somewhere else and then gone on to be a HR director or CPO. Uh, So they, they can cross over from one department to another, whereas few females actually be able to do that. And I talk with conviction on that I have done some research on that it's not just uh, me sort of making some blase statements before anybody has a you know gets the stakes out there but it's so um, in terms of CEOs when you get to the senior position yes they are predominantly male and so do I think that I think that's because again in terms of areas like finance you'll find that again it's heavily dominated with males at the top so by default the percentage is just going to push through to be the same and so I do think the gender has a lot to play in it. And that's a whole different topic that you and I could talk about for days, to be fair, in peeling that one back. But I do think it's more difficult because one of the biggest barriers is perception. And I'm going to, and I'm going to tell you something, a bit of feedback that somebody said to me as well, which, you know, really gets that point in. So perception. And when I spoke to one of the CEOs, we talked about why, you know, fewer women make it to the top. We talked, you know, slightly off piste. And one of them said this. Now, bear in mind, this is 2020 we're in now. And we're talking about equality for a number of reasons. What he said was, why would I promote somebody who'd been off for a year having a baby? How can they possibly be considered for a promotion when they've been out of the business versus, uh, you know, my right-hand guy who has been here the whole time? And so that absolutely shocked me because, you know, that's penalising people for taking time off to spend time with their children and obviously now we have you know shared parental rights and and you know men can take more time off whereas that would you know a few years ago that didn't exist as it does now but few do it um if you look at the statistics very few guys take as much time off because again predominantly they are the main fee earner they are the main wage earner so it makes sense for the person who earns the most to carry on working and the person who isn't to stay at home with the children and so there's there's, you know there's a whole big topic that uh, you know that we could pull apart on that but in terms of answering your question you know mostly uh, of the negativity I got and the pushback I got was from the male CEOs because not so much nervous but because they didn't validate it in terms of male or female they were just saying well HR couldn't be the CEO because of 
they're using social reasoning really it's you know but an old school yeah. thinking in terms of social reasoning to, yeah. to justify but it, you know you talked about stats and you you mentioned that you know you don't want to come come out with stakes because of the things that you mentioned i mean statistics from my side we do a lot of statistical analysis on the hr profession as an hr recruiter and we we gauge the hr industry to be approximately in the uk about 71 percent female so if we're not seeing 71 percent of uh, women moving through to the more senior roles then clearly there is there's there's an issue there if we're seeing more men get the more senior roles when they're only representative of you know 29% of the industry at a at the HR ground level then clearly there is a problem that, that yeah. is absolutely worth highlighting because it's real and then if you look at on a broader scale and there's an American study I think it was um, the Forbes study but of the top 3,000 companies and I mentioned five CEOs female CEOs in the UK but the top 3,000 companies across the world only 167 of them you know are, are being led by by female CEOs and that's that's under six percent it's a really low percentage so clearly as you say we could talk from a whole new subject about that matter and that's not really where one necessarily was meaning for it to go but it's absolutely right that we get it gets highlighted now you mentioned right at the start of this that um of, of the answer to your question you referenced the CIPD so where does the CIPD in your view fit in with the route from HRD to CEO? Do they have a part to play? I mean, they're the Chartered Institute. I would imagine they must be pivotal in, in helping HRDs to become CEOs. Um, have you had any involvement with the CIPD? What's their role at the moment? Um, in terms of, you know, what are they doing? Now, I can't sort of um, make any sweeping statements about what they may have in their pipeline because I don't know. And I, I would be lying if I said I did. But this for me is where um, I personally, you know, if I think about my career, where I'm left disappointed. Because... CIPD is the Chartered Management Institute of Personal Development. And even in its name, if we think about it, and I'm not talking they should just do a whole rebrand piece for the sake of it, but personnel development, the word in itself, it goes back to the 1970s where it was a personnel department, where it was very transactional rather than transformational. And I don't believe that that despite, obviously, when you're starting out in HR, you study and you do your CIPD, you do your level three, your level five, your level seven, and that all makes sense. And when you're going through that journey, I think the CIPD personally is very, very good at that. But I do believe that since being coming chartered, that they've lost their way a little bit. And it's now more about academic piece and, and work and output um, with kind of the undertones of what business and commercial needs versus the other way around. Um, and so, like I say, so it's come more of an institution rather than where you went to transform yourself. They have a career roadmap, which makes sense when, until you get up to a senior level. And then after that, um, apart from networking opportunities, which no offense, Nick, you know, you can get on LinkedIn, you can get anywhere. The explosion of social media means anybody can network from anywhere all over the world now. Just interject slightly, because there's a really important post there on the, on the LinkedIn side. So if anyone is interested, stay tuned for part two of this podcast, because I'm going to talk to Lisa about some of that social platforming. And Lisa is one of the most profound LinkedIn users from an HR perspective you're going to come across. So if you want to find out how to really start networking and leveraging and utilizing LinkedIn better, keep listening, because a little bit later on, I'm going to be asking Lisa how she goes about doing her post, because believe it or not, she gets over a million views to some of her posts. So stay tuned for that. So it's interesting, Lisa, but it's a really important point. And there's a lot of people who want to get more visibility and, and, and use LinkedIn better. So I'm really keen to have that conversation a little bit later on. No, no, that's so good. It's all good. So yeah, so in terms of what they provide in, you know, from their membership is a number of things, I think, as you're going transforming yourself through to your career. But when you get to the kind of the senior level, to director level, and like you say, you've identified earlier, there's so many people that then go, okay, well, well, now what? 
And a lot of people go into the sort of consultancy market, start their own recruitment. And it doesn't, you know, the actual CIP don't lend itself to that support at all. And so there's nothing there for anybody who wants to go off and do their own thing in terms of consultancy or very little. And then I don't actually see anything because if you read the CIPD magazine, they did an article, I think it was last year, about they've highlighted a couple of people, you know, HR who had then successfully gone on to be CEOs. Um, And while the article was good and it was amazing to read about such success with certain people, what it then didn't do is say that it's building something for the future because somebody needs to build it. You know, if if there's a need there, and I can assure you there is a need there of that type of, I say, well, you know, CIPD right now have the opportunity to be groundbreaking in their thinking. You know, they have the time, they have the resources to be able to write a program that closes that gap. But I haven't seen anything. And I say, and it might be that it's in the pipeline and it's just not come out uh, or, or it's not been promoted or, or we just don't have visibility of it. So I, I will stand by that. So what I've decided is like, well, if people need it and it's not there, then there's a gap in the market. So I'll build it. Um, and yes, I don't have their resources, but I've spoken to a number of people, again, through my network that I'm privileged to have. Um, and I've said to half of the people, well, then let's build it. And I'm like, OK, well, where do we start? Well, well, let's get the research and let's get the data. Let's identify the gaps. You know, let's almost write a succession plan of what a CEO is, what they do, what skills they have where they obtained them from, and we build it back from there. And then we look at the gaps from HRD to CEO. We build a succession plan and we build the program based on that. Now, whilst I get every other company, you know, each company is different. And so their needs, et cetera, will be different. But you, you know, unless you go on, you can go on lots of, you know, business school leadership programs, you know, yeah. uh, Cambridge Business School, et cetera. Um, and they all exist. And they are usually there to kind of define anybody in the leadership role to be a better leader. And again, being understand what it is to be strategic, understand uh, the importance of business, how to run it and all of those things. So whilst that kind of touches probably 50 percent of it, there's not anybody out there that says, here is a succession plan. Here is a template. And if you use this template, that will acquire all the skills that you need. And it won't be a five minute job, Nick. It's not going to be a two day one and done. Uh, it will be over you know, a 12 to 18 month period because it's a proper succession plan. But in, in obviously any role I've ever gone into, I've written succession plans from ops directors and FDs to go into CEO roles. I've wrote them. So I know what needs to go in them. But then it was a slightly different lens with the HRTs um, because, again, it's about the three things that are the blockers that came from the research I did was the perception of HR, because, again, it's seen as transactional rather than transformational. It, the perception is we don't understand the business. We don't understand the finances. We don't generate revenue. We don't know how to generate revenue. We don't know how to crisis management. You know, so we're not very commercially astute that way. We don't know how to revenue generate, and most other roles do. And we lack good influencing skills at board level to be taken seriously. So again, that comes back to perception issues of actually what it is and what it could be. Have you ever asked yourself, How can any recruiter understand my HR recruitment challenges? Please don't give up on your hiring challenges just yet. Here at JGA HR Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top human resources talent. We also understand just how costly a poor hire can be. JGA HR Recruitment would like to partner with you to help you overcome your hiring challenges. Contact us today on 01727 
800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. Do you think that the COVID-19 pandemic at the minute, I'm just thinking off the cuff here, has changed that perception at all in the sense that you've highlighted some points there about crisis management? Well, actually, some some H directors that I'm working with on a regular basis have been phenomenal during this crisis. And I think they've really raised their profile to the board to show how they can manage commercially, you know, the business elements in a crisis. I'm not just talking about the employee elements and, 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 and that element. I mean, really, at strategic level, how are we going to pivot to make sure we survive this crisis? And I think there's been some amazing yeah. input taken by boards from HR directors and how that's managed. But this, that's sort of one side of the coin. On the other side of the coin, unfortunately, I've seen a number, and I mean a high number, of very strong, skilled, very, very competent HR managers, HR directors be made redundant during this crisis in what I would argue, yeah. looking at it from outside in, obviously I don't know the inner workings of some of these companies, would seem like a slightly knee-jerk reaction to make some of those calls as quickly as some businesses have, which would then also argue that maybe they are still, you know, underappreciated and, and not considered in the high level. But this is kind of two-edged coin, really, because I've seen some really good work, which you would think would then go, actually, this really highlights the role HR directors can play in making a business more commercial and making that step towards CEO on that side. On the other side, you're then seeing these great people be made redundant almost in the first tranche of redundancies as well. So they've kind of haven't valued them. So how, from your perspective, I guess my question is this, how has COVID-19 changed the perception or has it changed the perception for, the, for, for HR directors going forward for, 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 for boards? Or has it improved it or do you think it's, it's, it's done the opposite? Uh, it's a great question. In terms of your first one, which is about, yes, there has been some incredible people out there who have just almost pulled rabbits out of hats, haven't they? I mean, yeah. you know, if you think about just a simple concept that we're all now working from home and some companies wanted to kind of dip the toe in the water with that and say, um, yeah, you know, we could work from home and we could get there. And and you've got some sort of nervousness around that uh, for a number of reasons. And, you know, we can talk about that another time. But the fact of the matter is we had to switch the lights off and switch them on at home and be working in, you know, 36 hours for a business to still function. And we've done it. We've done probably what would have taken us five years at the place we were going because we had to. Okay, we ripped off the Band-Aid and said, this is it. There is no plan B, make it work, sink or swim. And they've done it. And, and some people have done an extraordinary great job. In that. And most people even struggled to have done it, have done very, very well. You know, we've, we've carried on. Um, so I have to applaud everybody who's, who's, like, say, been up for 36 hours planning on how do we do this? How does that plug in? How is that going to work? What's the security uh, GDPR, uh, all, of, all of the security issues and uh, encryption and everything is, that's required to, to get all of that happening in the background. So in terms of, yes, I've seen some of the best like yourself, but do I think it's changed perception? No, I think they're a minority of people. And whilst you and I know them because we live in this world, where I think we could have won the day better is much more visibility of those extraordinary things happening. Yeah. Because, again, it comes back to when we're talking about visibility of the success stories of this is how we did it. So few people will come out and say it. And it's not about bragging. It's actually that people like me uh, and you, we love to learn every day. Yeah. And so if somebody come out and said, I've done this. It's extraordinary. This is how I did it. Then I'm all ears. I'm all eyes. I would like, wow, how did you think about that? How did you get to that conclusion? What were you? thinking at the time what was your process to go through to secure that um, and it's all really really valuable learning 
I think we probably missed the day where lots of stuff has happened and it's been amazing, but we haven't had visibility of it. We certainly haven't promoted it. And one thing that HR is not good at doing is its own PR. And I think that, you know, generally it needs to be able to self-promote far better. It yeah. needs to have, be its own marketing department within within itself to break down the barriers of perceptions because many of them are incorrect. But the same way as when you see, obviously, COVID's hit, people have to uh, make some tough financial decisions and people have lost their jobs as that. Now, obviously, there's many outside of the HR community, but if we just stick with the HR community for this point, what's interesting is, like you say, so many companies have seen it as, well, because we've got less people because they're on furlough or because the people agenda is no longer relevant because we're fighting for our lives, then we don't need HR right now. So lots of people have said, well, where we've got a manager and a HR director, we just need one instead of both. Where we've got two HR business partners, we just need one and an admin person. And everybody's kind of downgraded their people department. For the practices of saving money. Personally, I think it's short-sighted uh, because, again, what you're left with is a number of still very frightened people. You end up still having that whole survivor syndrome with people. And, you know, one of the HR skills that you have where many lack is that empathy, is that emotional intelligence. And you've got to still be able to engage your people to deliver whatever it is that your business is doing, product or service. So those key people with those key skills you're taking out of the business. So um, it's almost like the business saying, well, we don't really care about all of that. We just need people to come in and get the job done. So in certain aspects, from the HR perspective, we've gone back 20 years. And so we will then have to go back and fight for the right to be recognized and and be included as a a strategic business partner in certain areas. For me, we've we've lost so many years and we're going back to scratch again. But that's also... um, you know, from that point, if I think about the CIPD as the chartered institute for our arena, for our sector, I challenge them. And this is probably quite a provocative thing to say, but there is, you know, you'll understand the reason for it. You know, in terms of the CIPD, there are so many people on a daily basis. You know, I lost my job through COVID and had to struggle to find the next opportunity as well. So I I talk with conviction on this is what are they doing to help support the HR community who are now out of work. And I'm not saying they have all the answers, but I myself have given a lot of free time, personal time to help people write CVs, give them some career advice, give them some coaching, give somebody confidence advice, help them with their mental health, because that's a huge problem right now. And and people like yourself are giving up their time to help and support people because it's the right thing to do. It's got nothing about business, Nick. It's about you and I being human beings, um, paying it forward and knowing full well that everything will come back and and you get it back what you give out, yeah? And I don't see that from the CRPD. My, my challenge there is what have they really done to help their own people during this crisis? And I don't see it. I don't see there's anything um, significant being offered out. And it could have been something simple like, you know, they have their events and you pay a subscription, you know, you, you pay for if, you know, you're a member versus if you're a non-member. Well, why don't you just roll out some extra ones for free? Because it's the right thing to do right now. And you're still supporting the community. And when they're in the position where they have a job, they then can take back up the membership because surely their membership fees have dropped. People have cancelled it or people have dropped out because they simply aren't in the position to be able to afford it right now. But but then it's almost like if you don't pay your subscription, then we're not really interested in you. And hence the reason why it's become more of an institute rather than, you know, somewhere that you would go to transform. So it's about doing the right thing right now. And I don't see it from them. Yeah. Um, and I haven't seen it. And so, you know, for me, I would have expected better 
uh, I would expected more um, and certainly far more innovation um, about helping the HR community to deal with this destruction that's happened um, and actually help them, equip them with skills to be able to help others right now. And then we can build back later on in terms of the business. For, for me, it resonates. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think if you think about the short-sightedness, if we go back a little bit to what you mentioned there with, you know, okay, let's these are, these are people that we can let go early in this crisis because... HR people ultimately is one of the most selfless roles you can have in a business. It's all about the people that work you work with and work for a business rather than about yourself, which is probably why they don't. HR isn't brilliant at self promotion because they're always promoting others. It's not about themselves, and I think that's probably why there is a difficulty in raising some of that PR that you mentioned, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But I also think that it's yeah. short-sighted because what I'm going to see as a recruiter now is we're going to start seeing people in other areas of that company wanting to leave or finding other positions and attrition's going to go up because they haven't got that individual in that business providing them with the empathy and the listening and the support they need. And when you feel like you're not, you're unsupported, that's one of the biggest reasons why people choose to leave one company and join another. And if you get rid of that support group, which is, you know, HR has a huge part to play in that, particularly when you're in crisis times, Companies may not may see it as a quick salary saving now by letting that HR person go, but the reality is a bit later on down the line, even when things recover, people are, if people don't feel supported within their businesses, they feel they've got nowhere to go to, the critical hires in other roles, whether you're technical, whether you're developing, whatever it is you're doing, are going to start going. And then they're going to, you're going to have CEOs, if you like, coming back and going, why are we suddenly suffering so much attrition? And it may well be because of that quick knee-jerk decision they made during COVID to let that, that critical HR person who was selfless and was looking after their employees well go at that time. And I think it's going to cost businesses later. So I totally agree with that. And I think it's a really interesting way that you put it. I think it was, it was, it was really perceptive. And we talked about the pay it forward. I mean, we, don't, we are commercial. I'm a recruiter. I'm commercial. But right after this, 11 o'clock, I'm jumping on a, a free coaching course for HR professionals that unfortunately have lost their job during COVID, which I'm doing with Supertel. And, you know, my reality is I've had people say to me with my own firm, Nick, why are you doing this? Like, why are you helping people find jobs for free? Because what we, you know, our job as recruiters is to be commercial. Well, I say back to them is, well, because companies at the minute don't have budget to spend on recruitment fees like they did before. That's fine. People we help now and give care to now, and I mean genuine care, genuinely look after, try and support, try and help them find jobs. Later on, when the market recovers, I hope they'll remember us and say, actually, I've got a position you might be able to help us with. You really helped me for free back in the day and you were amazing support. Can you now help us commercially with this particular vacancy? And it is a pay it forward thing. There's obviously a commercial reason for doing the things that we do because we have to work to live, but we can definitely do more, whether it's through podcasting, whether it's through free coaching, whether it's through just giving advice and support. And Lisa, you've been phenomenal at doing this online. I think it's worth talking about that. Let's jump to LinkedIn quickly. Your last post got over 1 million views and tens of thousands of comments. You are one of these people that is putting yourself above the parapet and you are making yourself visible, sometimes controversially, and that's fine. You're very open. You're very open to to taking criticism as well, which I think is great. You know, if I was to say something about your post and you felt it had merit, what's wonderful is you'll say, you know what, Nick, I hadn't thought about that. But you are one of the only few people that I see, and bear in mind I specialize in this area, really stepping up and putting yourself out there. So I wondered if you could share a little bit about your journey through, and I'm talking mainly about LinkedIn at the minute, so I know that's a platform that I'm, I've got to know mm-hmm. you through, why there aren't more HR people doing it and what the benefits are 
for people that do decide to do it a little bit more and some of the traction, some of the rewards and benefits that you started to get as a result of the work you've been doing? You know, me personally, it's been a lot of fun. And it started off because, again, I wanted to give HR more visibility. And, And again, if you think about it, regardless of which company you work for, it's about, again, getting uh, to a point where you're recognised as an expert in your own field. And again, I understood about perceptions and understood that, you know, HR is, in my view, we're too submissive. And so I had a conversation with somebody around marketing and they were talking about branding and stuff. And something just really resonated with me. It's like, at that point, I then realised, actually, do you know what? I need to market me. And it's not about my ego or anything like that. It's about me in the HR arena, in the position I'm at, where I can help influence others, I can support others, I can have a voice. And especially as a female, a strong female, I've had lots of adversity during my career because I'm a strong female. And it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Um, And they'd rather I wasn't, but I won't stop being me. Um, And I did a post actually uh, last year where I had spoken to somebody um, and taken some career advice in terms of I just recently, you know, uh, lost my job and needed to go back up to market. And they spoke to me and they said to me, you probably want to dial back the Lisa. And that shocked me in terms of I was like, well, Tell me more about that. And they said, well, because you're strong, because you have a you know a huge voice, because you have a following, you know, you need to dial that back a bit. You need to, I was told to be more submissive. There was exact words. And I said, why? And they said, because you make people feel uncomfortable because you're strong. I said, but you wouldn't have that same discussion with a guy. If a guy is strong, they're assertive. If a woman's strong and and has outbursts, we're classed as emotional. And um, and I know that sounds like a sweet statement. I'm just retelling the words that I was told. So at that point, I was like, actually, it just re, you know just reminded me of the reason why I'm doing this. I'm connected to so many HR people like yourself, Nick, but very few post. And very few will comment. You'll get some you know, thumbs up and likes. And I have an awful lot. I have thousands of messages in my DMs every week from people who I'm connected with, but they won't say it in public because they don't. So that's about them in case they're afraid that they look stupid. Like yeah. I say to people, if you post something and you go, well, that didn't quite come out as it was in my head. And that happens, right? We've all done it. You go, oh, yeah, I've read that back. That doesn't really <laughs> quite you know, I've definitely done work. that. That's for sure. um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You've, we've all done it. We've all done it. And you go, mm, yeah cringe let's let's remove that you just delete it don't you it's it's no harm there's no foul um but so you, you know you put stuff out but they, they want it they're afraid to put something out because they look stupid they're afraid because what if somebody says something negative and and i encourage that say so, you know everybody has a point of view the whole point of the platform should be to express what you think and what you feel and not everybody's going to agree with you and that's okay but let's have the dialogue if somebody disagrees with you then try and learn from their point of view and that's how we evolve as human beings is it's there's always two sides for every story you might not agree with it but try and understand it try and take the time to emotionally understand where they're coming from and why they've you know what's been their motivators to say that and you'll always have trolls no matter what social media platform 
platform you have. And I always say to people, if somebody is really getting out of hand, then politely go into the DM and say, actually, you know, you're actually getting offensive now. So please stop. Or you just block them. That's it. Don't don't have any drama. Don't lose any sleep over it. Um, and I've had a couple of posts where somebody has been so vile in it that I've not just removed them. I've removed the whole post because it's upset another a few other people on it. And that's not what it's designed to do. But I'm in control of that. It's my post and I can control how far it goes. And if I think it's getting to the, the what I call the, the line of acceptable of where it's not effect, properly offending and upsetting people, um, I let it go because you know, the controversial stuff and the, and the difference of opinion and people getting animated and emotional, that's all really good learning. But when it starts to go on that line, it's like, okay, take it off. And I've done that with a couple of things for that very reason, but I can control that. And so it's helpful. And it's like any social media. So I have a voice. I, you know, I will challenge what we've always done because we've always done it that way. If, you know, in my mind works in such a way of, okay, so uh, I'll give you another example where we talked about interviews and we said, well, I think that interviews shouldn't be done in a boring old grey office where people feel uncomfortable and it's, you know, stressful enough when you're going for an interview regardless of level. There's a lot of prep involved, you, your mind's racing, you want to make sure you get all your good points over um, and all of those things. So, you know, you, you, your emotions are, are heightened. Um, so then to go in a room where you feel uncomfortable, it's not you at your best. Sure. You're not going to give your best. They're not going to get the best from you. So I, I challenged that and I did a post about, well, let's just start going for a walk. Uh, one, because obviously it was just post-COVID and everybody needed to get out because we're all climbing the walls at that point. Um, but two, you know, again, let's just let's just rewrite it. We're in a position now with the time that we've got downtime. If, if we have had the time to rewrite most things if we choose to. And again, it comes back to choice and mindset. If you think something's not right or broken or needs to be different, then stand up and have a voice and be courageous and say, let's do it differently because you can try it. If it doesn't work, do you know what? Okay. It didn't work, but at least you gave it a go. Don't sit there and do what you did 10 years ago and think it's relevant now because it isn't. Generations of people have changed. Business expectations, people's expectations, lies have all evolved. So why would you then go and do something that's in a dusty old bottom drawer that you go, this is what we've always done. And don't do it anymore. And so I, I so that post ended up with two and a half million views wow. because people agreed with it so much. And it's like, yeah. And and whilst I had probably a dozen people say, well, you know, what about the the less abled people who can't go for a walk? I say, absolutely. I'm not saying that it sh- it's just for the able-bodied. God no. Um, anybody who isn't physically able to go out for a walk, what? Then let's find out. Let's ask our people and say, okay, you know, we don't like to interview in an office. We don't like that environment for you. Where's you at your best? Is it a coffee shop? Do you want me to meet you somewhere? Do you want me to come around to your home for a change? What's wrong in that? And people would be absolutely horrified at that thought. But if it's more convenient and I have the time and I because I'm flitting around everywhere, why not? You know, what if? And, and that's my everyday, everyday my mantra is make a difference every day. And I'm probably more kind of out there in terms of my thinking. Um, but I think that's where I enjoy it and it's where people get the best of me. It's like, well, what if we did it? How well, not, could I'm, we? Rather than say, oh, it's uncomfortable. I'm not giving you lip service, but I think your uh, your views and your comments and the support you get on LinkedIn sort of tells its own story, really. I think you're definitely making a difference for the HR community because I just watch your posts and see the amount of people that resonate with what you're saying, who are championing uh, what you're doing. So you are making a difference out there. That's definitely happening. And I know if there are other HR directors or managers listening to this, which I'm sure there will be, um, you know, there is an opportunity for them to make a difference too. And you know, as you say, don't be scared to put yourself 
out there. Um, if you don't like what someone says, you can remove a post, you can take it down. But nine times out of 10, yeah. you're going to get more support than you are negatives. And, um, you know, maybe this is an opportunity for HR people to be inspired by the work you're doing. And I'll obviously put your LinkedIn um, uh, address in the in the episode notes if anyone wants to connect with, with Lisa. She gets thousands of requests every day, but, uh, you know, you can join her network and follow what she's doing. But like, this might be an opportunity for people to see what you're doing and, and maybe raise their voices as well. And, and as, a, as a collective maybe HR can really start promoting themselves on these platforms to, to increase that visibility, yeah. as you say. Well, listen, I, I know that you and I could talk, we've probably addressed this on about a million different subjects to make this podcast a 24-hour one, Lisa. I generally believe that. So I'm going to finish with one last question. I want to keep it right back to where we were, keep it raw. If you could change one thing about HR right now, what would it be and why? I would say to any of my HR community that they... I think so many people wait to be empowered. Empower yourself to make the changes that need to be changed. It's okay to go into the room of the board and say, actually, I've got some ideas. And I wouldn't you know, rock up in, in that way. But again, if you think that something needs to change, be courageous. Empower yourself to go and let the right people know what that could look like. You know, carve some time out where you can have a voice. Um, and if you need support with that, get the support that you need. Um, don't be fearful you know and again I have coach I have mentors that have all given me an awful lot of support over the years Um, do whatever you need to do to get what you need to get to have a voice because don't be afraid Um, and so there's too many people that are submissive Um, come out of the shadows break the glass ceiling you know don't be afraid and so um, there's one thing I could change is the HR community need to kind of stand up and say, you know, we are here. We can add so much value to your business. And this is the reasons why. And if you don't know how to commercially be able to take that, you know, an idea and put it into commercial uh, a framework so that the, the board get it and the, and the finance director says, yeah, here's some budgets, go and do that. That's going to add value. Then get some help because there's enough of us in the community to ask those questions, to get the answers, to be able to do that. But I think, again, it's the more we promote ourselves as experts in our own right, but not experts of tea and cuddles. It's, you know, and that's how we're perceived right now. So it's the perception. And the only way perception is going to change is by action. And that's the same for anything. Uh, That's quite, you know, that's not just HR specific. That's all sorts of things. Um, But unless we start taking firm actions to change the perceptions, we will be doing what we've always done because we've always done it that way. And that to me is such a great injustice of people's talents um, and the capabilities of what the business could do if it just opened its eyes and changed uh, got out of its comfort Sum zone. Sum that up perfectly. Well, listen, Lisa, thank you so much for joining me today on the HRLND podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. I think anyone listening to this is going to come away with so much to think about, which is what this is all about, really. Try to give some people something to take away where they can think, how can I make a change? What can I go and do? And I think there's a number of implementable uh, things there that people can take away. If you're not sure, then listen to this again, because honestly, there are some absolute gold nuggets of information I think you shared with us. I really appreciate you joining me today on the show. Of course, if you are an HR or L&D professional listening to this podcast and you've got an HR, HIS, L&D or similar related vacancy that you need some specialist support with, I know we're in difficult times. I know there's a huge network of people that are looking for new positions. I guess one of the things I would say is always make sure you're trying to recruit someone who wants to work for you as your brand, wants your job, not just 
any job. And that's something that I can really help with. It's a very time consuming process, recruiting and going through hundreds of applications right now. If you want to spend your time on the more strategic tasks, and need someone else to really go through that shortlisting process, then we're here to support that as well. You can get in touch with me, nick at jjrecruitment.com or give me a call 01727 800 377. That just leaves me to say thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much, Lisa, for joining me. And I look forward to bringing you the next episode of the podcast real soon. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much for tuning into the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO of JGA Recruitment Specialist HR Recruiters. If you need any help with the current HR or L&D vacancy, then please get in touch with Nick and his team. All contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss a future episode, please subscribe to the show through any of your favorite podcast channels. Till next time.